Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Well, would you turn with me to Galatians chapter 1? And I hope your Bibles are getting more and more trained. Galatians chapter 1. Now today we're going to see something rather rare. You don't see it much in the life of the Apostle Paul. We're going to see Paul in defense of Paul. <laughs> he doesn't do that much. He does it in 2 Corinthians when he, he even says there, I'm doing something foolish. But you see, he's been falsely accused. He's been backed into a corner, and now he's going to come out and defend himself. The Apostle Paul is seen in Galatians as a man who loves the gospel of grace. He's totally committed to it. There's no, you could not get a clearer picture than that as you study Galatians. In fact, he says in Galatians 6, 17, from now on, he says, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus Christ. He would ultimately die for his commitment to the gospel of grace. Now, this devotion that Paul has, and it's very clearly seen, is set in contrast to the wishy-washy believers of Galatia who had walked away from that wonderful message of grace and chosen instead the ridiculous message of religion. They chose to set aside or frustrate the grace of God. Remember, it's going to be in chapter 2, verse 21, when Paul says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. And that word means set it aside. As a believer, he says, I'm not going to walk away from that message. I can't. God never said I could. He can. He always said he would. He said, that's where I'm going to live from now on. I've been the religious route. I'm not going back to that religious route. Paul shows his righteous anger towards those who preach the message of law. And he, he beautifully uh, clears himself up as to how he thinks. It's not beautiful what he says, but it's beautiful in the fact that you have no doubt where he stands in verse 8 and verse 9. Even though the Galatians were at fault for listening to these people, the Apostle Paul says these false teachers should be accursed, separated from God forever. Now, that's strong words, folks. That shows you how strongly he's committed to the message of grace that completely transformed his life. In verse 10 through 12, he, what we're going to see today is Paul defending Paul. But in verse 10 through 12, we'll see Paul defending the gospel of grace. He defends it beautifully. First of all, he begins, and remember this, please pay attention, that he's making a contrast. He's not idly saying anything. This is not a, he didn't have some spare time and sat down and wrote the Galatians. This is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And everything he says is a rebuke to the false teachers that are coming at them. And it starts off with the motivation of the gospel messenger. Who are the, who are the people who preach the gospel message? What should be their motivation? He says in verse 10, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? You see, there's a contrast there. You watch your contrast. Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. You see, the false teachers, what he's just told you by implication is that a false teacher, a religionist, 
People who try to put us back up under a set of rules that if we obey them, we can attain righteousness. He said, those people are doing nothing more than pleasing men. That's all they're doing. And he said, you can't do that and be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. What's the motivation of the gospel messenger who is Paul in this case? He said, I'm a bondservant. I do what I do because I get to. I do what I do because I want to. I don't have to do this. This is a choice I've made. God changed me. I have something different in my motivation. Secondly, he shows the origination of the gospel message. If you'll think about it, how many times has he done this in chapter 1? You see what he's doing? Piece by piece by piece by piece, he's building a foundation for the rest of the book. The origination of the gospel message, verse 11. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. Now this is in contrast again to the false teachers that were uh, preying upon the Galatian believers. They preached a message of works. And that message, now listen, did not come from God. It came from men. You see, this is what religion is. I wish we could understand that. All religions, I don't care what religion it is, you have to do something in order to attain something from whatever God you put out in front of you. And what, this is what religion is. It's all of man and man's rules. But the gospel is not according to man. It's according to God. You see, men in religion make up their own standards, but those standards anybody can attain. In fact, the Pharisees got bored and had 613 more. But you see, Christianity is based on God's standards that no man can attain. That's why Jesus had to become a man, not to destroy the law that condemned all of us, but to fulfill it. And when he fulfilled it as a man, our representative, he went to the cross for us, paid a debt we, he did not owe. When we owed a debt, we could not pay. That's your difference in Christianity and any religion. I don't care where it is or what form it is in or what name it has behind it. And then Paul also shows the revelation of the gospel message. You see, you can teach religion, but the gospel has to be revealed to the human heart. It says in verse 12, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. You see, you can, like I said, you can teach religion, you can teach principles, but you cannot reveal Christ. Only Christ can reveal himself. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. It must be revealed. It had to be revealed to Paul. It had to be revealed to the Galatians that he's preaching to. In fact, when he was preaching to them at the first time he was there, God was revealing himself through what Paul was saying. Paul didn't have a clue what was going on, but God was using the message to reveal it to the human heart. Man can convince a man of, of the gospel, but only God can convict him that he is a sinner. Now, I hope I can tell this without, without being emotional, but something precious happened in our family this past week. I love my grandchildren. How many of you out there love your grandchildren? Just raise your hand. And how many of you love the one that's not born yet? <laughs> Old Jim and Don are going to be grandparents, and Beth's going to be a great-grandmama here coming up this, this June. I'll tell you what, little Holland will be seven, April the 8th. Little Jonathan will be three this month. In fact, he and I have bonded. He's from the shallow end of the gene pool. I, I, I really enjoy little Jonathan. <laughs> but our little Holland, was riding with Stephanie. She's so sensitive. She's been this way for years. She's just beyond most ages that when it comes to spiritual things. And of course, that, she's got a godly mother and daddy. And this past week, they were riding in the car together. And I think it was John MacArthur was preaching on the radio, somebody like that. And, and she leaned over and she said to her mother, she said, Mama, 
If I died today, I don't know that I would go to heaven. And she said, Mama, I'd like to be a, a Christian. How can I be a Christian? The little Stephanie said, oh, man, it's just wiped us all out. I, I should have told this at the beginning of the service. <laughs> I won't be able to see anything from this point on. <laughs> she said, when we get home, she said, when we get home, a little Holland, we'll talk about it. And they put Jonathan to bed, and Eric and Stephanie met with little Holland. And little Holland got down on her knees and prayed to receive Christ in her life. That had to be revealed by the Father. Do you realize she's heard that message every day since the day she was born, although she didn't understand everything she was hearing? <laughs> every day. But why, why was it that this week, on that particular time, at that particular moment, in that car, on that program, did it finally come to understand and, and understanding and the revelation came? That's the way salvation works. You, you can sit down with your child and you drop over in the floor, but until God reveals himself, that truth lodges in the brain. And that's what religion does. It goes no further than the brain. You can teach religion, but God has to reveal the message of Christ to the human heart. It's what happened to Paul. It's what happened to the Galatians. He said, the gospel I'm preaching to you, it didn't come from man. It didn't come out of some seminary. It didn't come out of some book. It came from God himself. That's what he's trying to do in defense of the gospel. These men were preaching a message that came from men. He's preaching a message that came from God. Well, today Paul is going to give us a narrative. If you'll notice something, when I'm in something real heavy doctrinally, we camp out. and we, oh, Some of you think we bog down. No, we don't. We just stay there a while. But see, when you get into a narrative, it flows like a river. This is story form. It carries us all the way down to the last of chapter 2. So it's going to move quickly. You wait till we get to chapter 3. We'll be there for about six years. But it, this will move quickly. This will move quickly. What a change had come in the Apostle Paul. And what he's going to do now in defense of, first of all, his message, and secondly, his apostleship is going to show that, it, that it's totally in contrast to the legalizer. He had been completely turned inside out. And he's going to show them that what these, these false teachers are doing, he used to be one of them. That's what he's going to tell them. And he's going to show them how grace changed him. And we're going to walk with him through this journey that he takes us on in Galatians chapter 1 and then on into chapter 2. Let me read for you what we're going to try to cover this morning. You can follow along with me, beginning in verse 13. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, don't you love that phrase, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I'm not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing. He who once persecuted us is now preaching them the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because 
of me. There are two things that I want us to see this morning. First of all, I want you to see Paul's humiliation. You know, it's humbling when you go back and try to admit to somebody what you used to be before Christ came into your life. Have you ever discovered that? Now, I have found some people arrogant enough to spend more time there than they do what God has made them, and I understand that. But it's humiliating. The Apostle Paul is so transparent. I want you to know that when you live under grace, you can be transparent. Some people have even said from time to time, Wayne, I like the fact that you're transparent. Listen, let me tell you something. There's no secret to this. If God already knows it, then what do I care if anybody else knows it? You see, what we've always done is reverse that. We don't want anybody to know. Well, buddy, God knows. And, and Paul's honest about his salvation, before his salvation. But in Romans 7, he's even honest about his salvation and his struggles with the flesh. He, he wrestles with himself all the way through the last part of Romans chapter 7. It's so humbling to do this. He says in verse 13, here we go. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Now he starts off and says, for you have heard. Now let me ask you a question. How did they hear? You see, these were these were over in the southern uh, province there of Galatia. How would they have ever heard? Well, the only, the obvious answer to that is that Paul had to tell them. That's the only way they could have heard. Paul had already told them. You see, this is something they don't want to be reminded about, of how the law had once been what Paul had believed. He so believed that the law was the way to righteousness that he had taken it to the extreme. He had even killed those who sought to disagree with him. And that's taking it to the extreme. He was no deceiver. He didn't come in and say, oh, let me tell you something I have found. No, sir, buddy. If you were a believer, he put you to death. He stood there and held Stephen's garments when Stephen was stoned to death. And no telling how many more are not even recorded in God's Word. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God. The word persecute there is the oko. The oko means to pursue with the intent to kill. That's what it means. Remember 2 Timothy 3.12, if you seek to live a godly life, you will be what? You will be sought after by somebody who, if they're not trying to kill you physically, will try to ruin you spiritually in your walk with God. They're going to be on our trail till Jesus comes back. One day I was up in the office and I walked over to Jim's office and through his window I caught a movement. Now when you're a hunter, you catch movement. Uh, some of y'all, y'all don't know. Y'all need to get a life. You know what? If you hunt, you caught that right off. I mean, you just catch movement and you look. There's a guy over there on the road with the land the academy owns and he was walking his dog. But a mistake he made, he didn't put a leash on it. <laughs> and that dog had a mind of its own. And as it was walking around, it jumped a rabbit. By the way, since I've been a New Mexican now, I have found some things out. Y'all have rabbits out here, or we have rabbits out here, that are as big as dogs in the South. I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> I've seen the little bitty bunnies. I'm talking about those jackrabbits, those great big old long ears. Good night living. And this dog, I don't, it looked like a retriever of some kind. It jumped one of those jackrabbits and it scared both of them. And he took out after that jackrabbit. Well, when that one jackrabbit jumped up, 20 of them jumped up. How many rabbits are back behind our church? It's incredible. Man, the chase was on. I wish somehow we could get that dog to talk. And I'd bring it in to introduce you to it and let him sit here for a minute, feed him a bone. And then I'd say, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question, Fido. He's, what were you doing with that rabbit? And I guarantee he would say, I was chasing it with the intent to kill it. 
Now, all you animal lovers, I fine, but that's exactly what that dog was doing. Pursuit with the intent to kill. You see, let me share something in a, in a spiritual sense now. Religion, religion does not tolerate anybody who does not agree with them. And they will kill you to look at you. I want to tell you something. In the church of, of Jesus Christ, those that are living under the message of grace but turn back to law become as spiritual terrorists in the body of Christ. They'll cut you down. They'll slander your name. They'll lie about you. They'll divide the church. They'll take their agenda and do whatever is necessary to kill the Spirit of God that's moving in that body of believers. That's what religion does to you. I don't care. Listen, look what's going on in our news right now. Somebody would strap a pack on their back with innocent people. You're talking about cowards and get on a bus and blow themselves up and kill everybody else. You think that's not in the name of religion? Wake up, folks, and smell the roses. Now, Paul was one of these kind of people. You disagree with me, I'll put you to death. And he was on the Damascus Road when God finally changed him. He says in verse 13, he says, I, I, how I used to persecute the church of, of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Paul pushed it to the extreme, far beyond what his contemporaries would do. He uses the term beyond measure. The word beyond is kata, and the word measure is hyperbole. I guess where we get that word. Pushing it beyond measure. He said, I took it to an extreme that these people who are deceiving you, Galatians, have never thought about before. I've been everywhere they have been, but I've been far beyond where they have been. This hateful motivation is exactly what these, these false teachers had. Instead of killing the believers physically, however, their tactic was a little differently. Their tactic was to deceive them and kill them spiritually. Mess up their walk, their spiritual fellowship with Christ. Law kills the fellowship that you could have in Christ. Paul stood out among his contemporaries. In verse 14 it says, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Paul says, I was advancing in Judaism. The word advancing we have seen before, prokopto. It's the word that means to cut forward. As you see on the screen, to blaze a path. A pioneer who goes where no one else has ever dared to go. Paul had excelled his contemporaries in Judaism. As a matter of fact, if you've studied him much, he was a star pupil of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the greatest teacher of the law that ever lived in his day. And he was the star pupil. He was, he was actually more religious than the religious. You ever know anybody like that? You say, Brother Wayne, what are you talking about? Man, this, is, this doesn't relate to me. Oh, it doesn't. I've known people that are so Southern Baptist, they have to have it tattooed on their arm. <laughs> I've known people that were Methodist and Presbyterian the same way. So y'all just relax. Okay, we're going to get us off. I mean, I'm telling you, they know the, the history of the church. They know the bylaws and the constitution. They know the letter of the law, but they haven't got a clue about walking with God. And they push it to the extreme and drive it down your throat. This is what these people were like. And you see, Paul says, I used to be even beyond that. Do you think these people that are religious that are trying to deceive you? Man, I was more religious than the religious. In fact, Paul says, the, the phrase ancestral traditions there, 
he says that the word traditions and ancestral traditions refers to the, and the traditions of the fathers. And let me explain something to you. By the time that Paul wrote this, those ancestral traditions had some become so infected with man's input that it caused Jesus in Mark 7 and verse 6 to say something. He says in verse 6, And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, listen to this, hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Now, how could these believers in Galatia possibly miss what Paul's trying to do here? What he's doing, he's putting one up against the other. He's saying, let me just give you a little history here. Let me just share with you where I have come from. He's pointing an accusing finger at these false teachers. Now he turns around and says, they're pitiful compared to what I used to be. And I know exactly their heart, heartbeat. I know their motivation. I know where they're coming from. I wonder how many of us would be willing to be as transparent as the apostle Paul. I'll tell you what, <laughs> we, we clean up good, don't we? We come to church and got our little clothes on and we got our smile on our face. But are you willing to be honest enough to tell people what you used to be? And even more than that, are you willing to be honest enough to tell people the struggles you have every day? Oh, no, Brother Wayne. We can't let people know that. We better start letting them know it because that's what's keeping them from even being interested in what we have. It's not about us. It's about Christ. How many of us used to hold to the message of attaining righteousness? by what we do. I'll tell you what, I, I'm ashamed to admit it, but when I was in youth work for 17 years, used to go on these youth camps, and when we, we had, on Wednesday night, they're worn out, they're emotionally drained, we know that, and so we have an emotional service, a lot of music to make them feel good about themselves, etc., make them tender, and then tell them a deathbed story of a dead dog someplace, and they come forward and give themselves to a tree. I mean, they ain't got a clue what they did. And they go home and I say, now listen, you're going to walk with God. You better have your quiet time at 4 o'clock in the morning. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to do this. And I took them home and put them right back up under law and did it for years and didn't know the difference. Until one day I tried to accomplish the same standard I was putting on them. And I got so frustrated with my life and I bowed before God and I said, God, what is wrong with me? And God said, you're what's wrong with you. God overwhelmed me with this message. And I'll tell you what, maybe I'm not as committed to it as the Apostle Paul, but I'm on my way, friend. And I'll tell you, I will not tolerate it. I will not tolerate it. When people bring law into this church right here, they are spiritual terrorists, and I don't want you to ever forget that. I want you to be able to spot them a mile off, and I want you to immediately begin to pray for them. We do not want that here at Hoffmantown. We want a, a God of grace to permeate this congregation. You say, Wayne, you talk down works. No, I do not talk down works. In fact, if you want to know somebody who worked as the Apostle Paul, but the difference is this. If you heard Dr. Zoviades last week in the first service, he said, you better go out and work. The second service, he said it a, little more, a lot more clearly. He said, if you're under grace, grace in you will cause you to work. The doing of the word. What do you think that is? The commands of scripture. But the motivation is not to attain spirituality. The motivation is not to earn righteousness. The motivation is because we love him. We're bond servants and we just want to say yes to him. That's what Paul is trying to show these people. You've gone back to trying, trying to earn something that only God can give to you. And that's the difference. There is works, yes. But the motivation is entirely 
different. Well, I don't know about you, but I've been there and I, I feel just as humiliated about it as I'm sure Paul did when he had to share this with these people. But he said, folks, I'm not telling you something I don't know. I've learned how to play church a long time ago. I didn't get saved until I was eight years into the ministry. It's a good thing to have saved pastors and ministers, isn't it? <laughs> That's what changed me. That's why I can spot it so far off when somebody's trying to accomplish righteousness by what they do. No, sir. No, sir. You heard that little thing, Mary had a little lamb, could have been a sheep. <laughs> Joined the Baptist church and died for lack of sleep. You better go to work, son. No, I changed that around. You better, listen, you better learn to love Jesus. And if you love Jesus, you'll go to work. And I'll tell you what, you'll work till, the, till your, your fingers are numb. But, but it'll be in the energy and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And it will not be to attain righteousness. It'll be because he's already attained it for you. Well, first of all, his humiliation. And that was humbling for Paul to say that. And secondly, Paul's vindication. Boy, God's going to vindicate him. He's going to vindicate himself. Paul didn't leave it there. No, sir. He didn't leave it back what he used to be. He wants them to understand what grace has changed him to be and what they had experienced in their own lives, if they would think about it. He says in verse 15, but when God, <laughs> think back when you got saved, just right now, just close, forget anybody else's here, draw a circle around yourself and think back to the day that you got saved. That's, but when God. I guarantee you if we had time, we'd have testimonies in here today that would rock every one of us. What were you like when God entered your life and changed you? But when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through His grace. Boy, how clear the message of God's grace is right here. But when God, who had set me apart from my mother's womb. I love this. Paul didn't seek after God. And I want you to know straight out, there's no, there's no ifs and, and ands about me. I believe the seeker-sensitive movement has done more damage to the church of Jesus Christ in our day than any other movement. I'll tell you why. We're not seeking for God. God is seeking for us. The true seekers are believers. What is wrong with our mentality in the day that we live in? He said, he set me apart in my mother's womb. God knew me before I was ever born. Do we understand this? about salvation. Like Jeremiah, even before Paul was ever born, God had a plan for his life. But when God who had set me apart, and the word set apart is aphorizo. Aphorizo means to mark off boundaries, to define boundaries, to select with a specific purpose in mind. Now, I can just, I'd love to have been, and I said this last night, and I, here I go saying it again, a fly on the wall in heaven. There are no flies in heaven, okay? But I'd, I'd love to have been there. When the Godhead was looking down at man and the religious bondage that men had put other men under, and I can imagine God saying, you know, we need a preacher of grace. They don't understand grace. We've got the law that'll frustrate them. They're certainly frustrated. We need a man to preach grace. I'll tell you what, we need a man who knows law like nobody. I, when I was in Chattanooga, we had so many legalists in that area. But when they saw the message of grace, I'd rather have one of them than anybody else. Because they understood sin. They understood confession. They understood cleansing. 
But I'll tell you what, they understood freedom and what it meant to be walk in the fullness of Christ. I, I, I love that. And Paul was the greatest legalist. I can just see God in heaven saying, I need a legalist. I need to be, to be the extreme. Let's push him further than anybody else has ever been pushed. Let's let him go further than anybody's ever dared to go. And I see him. I see him. There he is right there. He's in his mother's womb right there. Paul, that's, who he's gonna, that's what his name is going to be later. It'll be Saul of Tarsus to begin with. We'll change his name to Paul later on. Paul was born never knowing that God was after him. And all those years he grew up and grew up and grew up and he thought he was really gaining in the law. Philippians told us that as we studied it. And he said, those things that were gained to me, he said, I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And then one day on the Damascus road, going to arrest Christians, the Christ of Christianity arrested Paul. <laughs> and he was never again the same. And God said, how? Right on target. Right on time. And now we got him. Now we have him where we want him. He's going to be the preacher of grace like nobody has ever known. Paul says, but when God who had set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. The idea of called is to appoint, appointed me. It seems here to point to salvation. That's what our calling is all about. But in that salvation comes the purpose that God had for him in the fact that he was divinely appointed to be an apostle. Through His grace means by the virtue of His grace, by the means of His grace. Do you realize what the Apostle, Apostle Paul has already admitted? There was nothing about him that deserved salvation. It was only by the means of God's grace. And that's true for all of us here today. But when God who has set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through His grace was pleased to reveal His Son, I love these little words, in me, that I might preach Him among the brethren, or the heathen rather, to reveal His Son in me. The word reveal, apocalypto. To take the cover off of something that has previously been hidden. When the gospel was revealed to Paul, buddy, he was never again the same. That little phrase, in me. I checked on that and some of the people believe that it might mean in my case. That's possible, but I don't think so. I, I think it has to do in me because others believe it's that inward revelation of Jesus Christ to the human heart which we talked about earlier. That's essential to salvation. I choose that latter meaning because to me it, it's far beyond what the other idea is, even though it could be implied. The inward revelation of Jesus Christ to Paul. I want to ask yourself again, when was, that, when was Christ revealed in you? Not so much to you by somebody, but in you, in the inside of your life. In, in, he just revealed himself. And by the way, he revealed himself in Paul at salvation, and now he's revealing himself through Paul in sanctification. What was, Paul's, what was God's purpose for Paul? That I might preach him to the heathen. Now that word for heathen there is the word ethnos, E-T-H-N-O-S. It's the word, it refers to the ethnic groups of the world. It can be, it's mentioned heathen at times, nations at times, Gentiles at times. The definite article is used here to refer to the Gentile nations specifically. Paul supports this in chapter 2 and verse 7. He says, but on the contrary, seeing that I have been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter has been to the circumcised. Uncircumcised refers to the Gentiles, ethnos. Circumcised refers to the Jewish people, which was Peter's assignment. So you have two groups here. Peter was assigned by God, appointed to, to go to those Jewish people with the gospel of Christ. Paul was appointed to go to the Gentile world. Now Paul is going to answer his critics as he shows how the gospel he preached 
did not come from man. Now, this is significant, and I don't know if I can get it out of right, but it's, this is very significant. He says, after he says this, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Now, that's important. That's so important. You won't see it right at first, but you will in a minute, hopefully. Paul had most likely been accused. Now, here's what he'd been accused of. By, by his answer, you see what his accusation was. He'd been accused of copying the apostles' doctrine and gospel and message and then masquerading as an apostle. He didn't have credentials. He had copied their message. And Paul wholeheartedly disagreed. <laughs> he didn't consult with anybody. He didn't go get a degree so he can hang it on the wall. He didn't want any kind of authenticity from men. But he says, nor did I go up to Jerusalem even. He, he didn't even go to the apostles. He said, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But what, so what did he do when he got saved? What did he do? It says in verse 17, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. He said he went away to Arabia. Now, he returned once more to Damascus. At first glance, if you know anything about Acts chapter 9 and when he was saved, that appears to be a contradiction. Don't you love it when people say the Bible contradicts itself? <laughs> R.A. Torrey said, when I first got saved, the Bible had a thousand contradictions in it. And right before he died, he said, I can only find one, but I'm too thick-headed to let God show me how clear it really can be. It's amazing. If you ever think that something contradicts, back off, take a longer look, because this is God's Word. 66 books that were written in different times by different men. It's incredible, the, the beautiful line that follows all the way from Genesis to Revelation. No man could have ever come up with this. But in Acts 9, 17, let me pick up the story with you when he got saved and show you where it seems to be an apparent contradiction here. He went to Arabia. Verse 17, And Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me to so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's his salvation right there. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he arose and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. Now wait a minute, wait a minute. He just got saved. The scales have come off his eyes. And he goes, he says he's with the disciples in Damascus. But it says in our text that he went to Arabia. Now what, Luke doesn't say anything about Arabia. What, what do we have here? It's really simple. I don't know why I'm even bothering to stop, but I, sometimes these things are helpful to work out for you. Verse 17 of Galatians 1, that he went to Arabia, and if you'll follow the wording, it's very clear. And then, what's the next word? Returned to Damascus. Oh, he'd been there before. Well, I'll be. We have no way of knowing how long he stayed when he was in Damascus. Acts 9, 19 said several days. Several days in the Greek word is an indefinite period of time. Uh, it could have been a short or it could have been long. But the, the point is here that there's no contradiction. He had been in Damascus and one emphasized one part and the other emphasized the other. But the, but the main thing he's doing here is that the main point he's making is nobody told me the gospel message. God revealed it to me. Nobody walked up to me, handed me a track and explained it to me. Nobody did that. God revealed that to my heart. That's what he's trying to show them. In verse 18, then three years later, he waits three years. He said, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas. That's the Aramaic name for Simon Peter. And stayed with him 15 days. You see, Paul was not mentored by any man. He was not approved 
by any man. He was not taught by anyone except God himself. Now you say, why is he bringing this up? Oh, hang on. When he finally goes to Jerusalem, he sees Simon Peter and then James comes over. James, you know, wasn't saved until after the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 said God had to appear to him and that's when he became the elder of the church of Jerusalem. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. That word acquainted, he didn't go and say, Simon Peter, is what I'm preaching correct? Will you put your stamp of approval on it? No, the word is historia. And historia means you find out facts about somebody. He just went to get acquainted. That's all he wanted to do, to, to, to get to know Simon Peter. Why? Because Simon Peter walked with him. And then he mentions James. Why would he mention James? Because James grew up with him. And he wanted to know more about this Christ that had met him on the Damascus road. Well, seeing James would probably be to learn that wonderful years before that's not even, we don't have fully recorded in God's Word. Now, why all this effort for Paul to bring this out? To show that he did not get his message from the apostles in Jerusalem. Well, in verse 20, it seems to suggest somebody has lied about him. Now, I know where you got your message. You got a tape through that tape ministry and you just copied it word for word and you've been preaching that and, and you've been masquerading as somebody you're not. Well, he said, I didn't get it off a of tape. <laughs> I'm being facetious. And he didn't get it from somebody. He got it from God. He says in verse 20, Now in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. He takes a solemn oath and he assures them that he's not lying. Somebody, somebody has accused him of being a liar. And he said, I assure you, I am not lying. They were saying that he had no authority from the 12. He stole the message from them. And then he continues to enforce the fact that he did not get the gospel message from any man. He got it from God. In verse 21, then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. You say, why would he go there? Because God said, you go to the Gentile world. And he did. These are Gentiles. And he preached the message God had given to him. And then it says in verse 22, and I was still unknown by sight in the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. He has shown that he didn't get it from man. He didn't get it from the apostles. Now he says, I didn't go over to Judea and get the message from the churches that were there. He shows them. But verse 23 says, he clears it up. But, but only they kept hearing. He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. They'd heard about him and they were rejoicing, but they didn't know him. They wouldn't have known him in a crowd. And he said, I want to make sure you understand this. I didn't go to the apostles. I didn't go to any man. I didn't go to any church. God revealed that message to me. Now you say, Wayne, why is this so important? Oh, 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 oh. Now don't miss this. When God reveals the message to your heart and to your heart and to your heart and to your heart, it will be a message that is exact. When you hear somebody preach a message that's distorted, it did not come from God. He is not the author of confusion. You see, somebody has added something to it. And that's what Paul's trying to get across. This message of the gospel didn't start with the apostles. It started with God himself. And God reveals truth to the human heart. And when that happens, it is exact. You say, Wayne, prove it. I'm glad you said that. You heard of Helen Keller? Oh, good. I have to. She was born deaf. She was born. It's hard to communicate to somebody who's deaf and blind. Is that correct? Very difficult. Matter of fact, 
they finally were able to communicate with Helen Keller. And you know what they asked her? Do you know, somebody asked her, do you know Jesus Christ, God's Son, loves you and died for you? And she said, oh, Jesus, is that his name? I didn't know his name, but I know him. He lives in my heart. Where do you think that came from? Well, I'll tell you what the skeptics that sit out there in the world and say we're preaching something that came from man haven't got enough sense to get in out of the rain. Those are the people whose education has far exceeded their intelligence. This message didn't come from man. This message was revealed by God. And Paul is so committed to it, one day he'll give his life for it and die for it. That's how important it was to Paul. Now let me ask you a question. How important is it to you? How important is it to you? To live it? To share it, to understand it, how important is it to you? I'll tell you what, we're coming up to a missions conference. We're going to find out in the days ahead how important this message is to all of us. Because I want to tell you, this didn't come from man. This came from God. Aren't you glad Christianity is not a religion, man-made, for the favor of men, for standards that man can achieve? No, sir. It's a message of grace. It's a message of I can't. God never said I could. He can. He always said He would. And it didn't come from man. It came from God. Well, you don't want to miss next time because next time, this really gets exciting. This story doesn't stop now. Next time we're going to see Paul's confrontation. Woo! He's going to get hot and bothered with old Simon Peter. He's going to stand that old boy up and get right in his face and rebuke him. You say, Wayne, he wouldn't do that. And you'd come next time and find out if he does it or not. <laughs> You're going to begin to understand when he gets down to verse 20 and says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Why does he say that? You're going to see that. It starts with his humiliation. It enters into his vindication of who he is and the message he preached. But then we're going to get into a confrontation that you, you never dreamed could take place, but it's going to take place. First with the big three, Peter, James, and John. John MacArthur, Chuck Swindoll, and uh, whoever. <laughs> and then it's going to be with Simon Peter himself. That'll be next week. But what does the gospel mean to us this morning? What does it mean to us? Is it something that has overwhelmed us, changed us? For additional resources or to view our TV program, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org. 